What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's podcast breaks down two of the most recent events in sports business, the United States being selected to host a Rugby World Cup, and whether or not a 50% drop in crypto assets impacts the future of crypto sponsorships in sports. I hope you enjoyed this episode. But before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've been wearing a Whoop for several years now, and it has made a massive difference in my life. It's the only tech product that I wear 24-7, so it's pretty cool to see people like Patrick Mahomes, Rory McIlroy, Michael Phelps, and Justin Bieber wearing one also. Whoop automatically measures your respiratory rate, oxygen level, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. Sure, it might sound complex, but Whoop interprets the data for you so it's easy to digest and actionable. And now, their 4.0 is officially back in stock and shipping in real time. But here's the best part. Whoop is offering my listeners 15% off their Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. So go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Joe at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. What's up, everyone? First and foremost, happy Monday. Hope everyone had a fantastic weekend. I'm recording this on Sunday night here in Miami, Florida. It was a great weekend, but I want to talk about two current events for today's podcast. First is the Rugby World Cup. This is a sport that I didn't know much about from a business perspective beforehand. I spent a decent part of this weekend, though, looking more into it, not only from how big it is perspective, but also the economic perspective and the financial perspective that surrounds the World Cup, which is its biggest tournament. So for those that didn't see the news, the United States has been given the rights to host the 2031 Men's Rugby World Cup and the 2033 Women's Rugby World Cup. So two years apart, these happen every two years, uh, men's, women's, men's, women's, men's, women's. So 2023 is happening in France for the men. 2025 is England for the women. Two years later, 2027, Australia for the men, then Australia for the women in 2029. And then the US comes up 2031 and 2033. So this is a big deal for a few different reasons. Rugby is not a massive sport here in the United States. I think most people realize that whether you live in the United States or not, It is, though, a big sport globally. So I was looking at this a little bit, and just to get some context on how big the World Cup is for rugby, uh, basically, you can make the argument, and the numbers would back this up to some instance of rugby, the World Cup, being the third largest sporting event in the world behind the Soccer World Cup and the Olympics. And the reason that is, is because uh, not only did 1.7 million People show up to the World Cup in Japan in 2019, the Rugby World Cup I'm talking about. Um, But they had 250,000 inbound visitors from six different continents. It created 45,000 jobs. Um, And the rugby, supposedly, according to Nielsen, a study I saw, has over 400 million global fans and uh, over 800 million. I think it was 850 million people watched it on television. Right. So just from a pure uh, notional fan base perspective of the quantity of fans, it's certainly one of the biggest sports in the world. And you could make the argument that that individual tournament 
is the third largest sporting event in the world. It's bigger than the Super Bowl. It's bigger than any Formula One Grand Prix. It's bigger than the NBA Finals. It's bigger than the Champions League. It's big, bigger than any of that stuff, right? It is, uh, from a pure viewership perspective, the third largest. So I think that's very cool. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned before, there's an economic incentive to this. Why would you want this, right? And it's the same thing with every other major sporting event. Uh, it creates jobs, and there is an economic impact directly related to the area where it's being held. So I mentioned Japan earlier. That's where they held the, the Rugby World Cup in 2019. It created 45,000 jobs, that World Cup, and it's brought an estimated economic impact of $2.68 billion. And anyone who has followed any of my content or listened to me or, or read any of my writing uh, for any period of time knows that you have to take all of these economic impact studies with a grain of salt. None of them are uh, perfect. A lot of them end up actually overestimating the impact. But I think we can all agree, especially when it comes to events like this, where there are people coming from out of town, that does have a, have a pretty solid impact typically. The problem with most studies, for those that don't know, is that they, uh, they forget about budgets, obviously, of, of people, right? So if I'm spending $300 to go to an NFL game, and I live in Buffalo, that probably means if I'm a family of four, uh, that I'm not going to go out to dinner. Well, I'm going to go out to dinner one less time this month right? Because I have a budget. I live on this budget. I don't have unlimited income. And if you're using it on one place, you're probably not using it on the other. So that tax income that they would have made, right? Or that spending that would have been spent in their city for local residents doesn't mean as much because of the, the budgets that uh, these families have and these people have. So the big benefit comes from out-of-town visitors, right? People that wouldn't normally be in your city, uh, in your state, in your county, et cetera. And I think with the World Cup, rugby obviously enhances that even more, but every major sporting event where people are traveling for uh, is obviously huge. The Super Bowl, the Final Four, uh, the NBA Finals, any of that stuff, right? Where people are actually traveling to a city, especially if it's a neutral location. So again, I think that this is uh, probably brings a pretty good economic impact. But outside of that, the part I want to speak more about is what this means for sports in general, right? And again, I've talked about this a lot. So at this point, it feels like I'm almost... Uh, uh, beating a dead horse here, right? But I think one of the things that we've already started to see to some degree and is going to be the trend that we talk the most about over the next decade or two is the idea of the globalization of professional sports. And let me explain what I mean. So think about the NFL, right? They have this massive business in North America. They make billions and billions and billions of dollars. Uh, they make over 10 billion now. I believe it's close to 15 billion dollars a year. And they want to make $25 billion by the end of this decade, right? And that uh, makes sense, right? The United States in particular is the largest economy in the world. And you can monetize fan bases here from a sports perspective better than anywhere else in the world. It's the reason why Formula One is aggressively trying to expand in the United States. It's the reason why the Premier League rights, media rights are selling for so much to NBC. Uh, basically, everyone knows globally that the United States is the market when it comes to monetizing fans. So, for instance, uh, Formula One has three to five times, three to, probably three to four times more fans globally than the NFL, but the NFL makes eight times more money, right, just from a monetization perspective. So there's some nuance to that, of course. There's uh, things that the NFL does that Formula One doesn't and just how the business is set up and monetized, et cetera. But I think that is the overarching theme, right, that the fan base here is monetized better. But from a globalization perspective, the way I think about it is, right, you have to find a way to increase your total addressable market. 
So the NFL is an example because now what are they doing? They're going to play games in the United Kingdom. They're playing games in Germany this year. They've played games in Mexico, right? They're going all over the world to try to expand that fan base, to be able to monetize more fans, right? And widen that base geographically versus just going vertically. And sure, you can sell more merchandise. The media rights will continue to rise with streaming partners coming in. Season tickets will increase in value, right? All of these things, sponsorships will go higher and higher. But the point is to drastically increase the percentage growth rate of some of these assets now, you have to think about geographic expansion. And obviously, the trends that we've seen over the last decade from a digital perspective with the internet, with mobile, with all of these things, streaming, et cetera, has lowered those barriers and it's made it easier for people to think about. I think if you think about the last 100 years, it's really been centered around just growing vertically within your market, the NFL, the NBA, MLB, NHL, MLS now. Uh, but historically, those other three leagues were, were really based in the United States and we're trying to just grow vertically. And now we've seen them all expand, right? So the, the NBA is doing the exact same thing with its Basketball Africa League. And we all know what Formula One has done, right? And we mentioned it a lot, but we mentioned a lot because it's true. <laughs> they put on an international expansion masterclass with Netflix. And uh, now they have three races in the United States after having zero a decade ago. So they're going to make hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars at some point off this new market that was essentially non-existent uh, years ago, right? And they went from even three years ago, they had less than 500,000 people watching each race. Now the last race in Miami, uh, if you only count the actual race, so the, the reported number was 2.066 million, I believe, watched the Miami Grand Prix. And that actually included the pre-show uh, the pre-Grand Prix show on ABC. So it was like the 60 minutes leading up to it too. But if you only count the race time, this, the second number came in and it was 2.6 million, I believe, right? Which made it the most watched live Formula One race of all time. So those investments are paying off tenfold by now, right? The, the promoters are making money, Formula One's making more money, the teams are making more money, the drivers are making more money. It's working out for everyone, everyone's happy. And that model is now being played elsewhere. And the reason why I think this comes up with rugby is because... Uh, it's certainly not guaranteed to work, right? It's extremely difficult. Otherwise, everyone would do it. But the point is that rugby is a massive game, but it's really centered in a few different countries. And if you can get that international expansion going in the United States, then I think that's huge, right? So I have a quote here that I was reading earlier by uh, the world rugby chairman, Bill Beaumont, when the, when the US uh, World Cup got announced as a location. He said, the US is seen as the golden nugget the country has a huge amount of fantastic athletes, men and women, who probably don't see a lot of rugby. I think this will give them the opportunity to see our game, and we will leave a sustainable sport that will go from strength to strength. Right? And then the World Rugby CEO, Alan Gilpin, added, We look at the U.S. opportunity a little bit the same way we did with Japan in 2019. It's a great place to deliver outstanding tournaments and have those really big moments in the sport to get fans and players really excited. The two biggest opportunities in addressable growth markets are the U.S. and the women's game. So when you bring those things together, it's genuinely a bit of a no-brainer, right? And I think that's how a lot of sports leagues are thinking about this, whether it's rugby, Formula One, the Premier League, et cetera, outside the U.S. I'm speaking. They want to move, right? And then the U.S. is trying to do the opposite. They want to move, but they want to move uh, internationally instead of just focusing domestically. And the whole idea is if you can expand that total addressable market and widen your customer base, then you're able to divvy up the sales and, and, and drive meaningful revenue from a growth perspective that you can't do domestically. And again, I think this is already certainly happening to a degree. We've seen this over the last three, five, six, seven years, 
but I think it's going to accelerate. And I think we're really going to see people place a premium on that. And that doesn't mean that we're going to uh, have an NFL franchise located in London in two years, right? Like, I don't know what happens from that perspective, but more so that there's going to be a premium place on developing fan bases internationally and driving meaningful amounts of revenue, right? Because once you get to this point, media rights, yeah, they're, 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 they're going to make, uh, you know, they're going to make billions and billions of dollars, making $100 billion, right? If that goes to $200 billion, that's a lot of money, right? But it's 100% growth. How do you find new avenues where you can monetize this appropriately and not only drive media rights, but drive merchandise, drive ticket sales, drive everything else that the game includes today, but internationally? So I think that's one big point. The second thing I want to talk about is uh, crypto and sports. So this is something that I've gotten a lot of questions about over the last few days. Because everyone sees what's going on in the market. Uh, Bitcoin is down over 50%. Ethereum is down over 50%. Those are the two largest uh, cryptocurrencies by market cap. And then I think everyone has seen what's happened in the stablecoin market. Uh, Terra's Luna, Luna has gotten absolutely crushed and uh, gone to zero, essentially. There's been a lot of articles written, a lot of uh, opinions given, et cetera, around the crypto market. And I think that there's a few points to this, right? I am genuinely a believer in, in some of these things. I think I'm on record at this point of saying that 99% of this stuff is going to uh, probably not be worth very much in the end, right? If you just think about it, there's hundreds of thousands of, of different cryptocurrencies now. And just on a numbers perspective, it makes no sense. Um, I, uh, I, I think about this in probably a different way than most people, I believe, right? I think that when it comes to sports, um, there was very few leagues and teams that we're probably thinking about this in the right way. And I, I've mentioned this numerous times before, but it's all on a risk curve, right? And when you think about crypto, uh, you have to think about the biggest players in the space, the ones that are doing it the right way, the ones that are building sustainable businesses with moats that cannot be destroyed overnight, right? And if you think about that, that's the ones that the major sports leagues here in North America were dealing with, right? So uh, crypto.com. They did a $700 million deal for the naming rights to the former Staples Center. They paid $175 million for, to sponsor the UFC for 10 years. They paid $100 million to Formula One. PSG, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, they paid $30 million to sponsor them. Philadelphia 76ers, they paid $10 million to sponsor them. FTX, another crypto exchange, did the exact same thing. Right? They paid $135 million to sponsor the Miami Heat Arena. They paid $210 million over 10 years to sponsor esports organization TSM. They sponsor Major League Baseball, Coinbase, and other crypto exchange sponsored the NBA, uh, and so forth. There's, there's a bunch of different deals going on right now. And I think uh, there's a few different things to look at this. One of the most important things, I think, is to remember where we came from, right? If you look at the market, the crypto market specifically, three years ago, the entire market cap of all crypto assets, including stablecoins, et cetera, was like $350 billion. We went up uh, to nearly $3 trillion over the course of the market peak uh, late last year. And now, even with this massive dive crash, whatever people want to call it over the last few days, uh, the total market cap of all crypto assets, including stablecoins, is still at $1.5 right? So a massive uh, you know, 4, 5, 6x from where we were a few years ago even though we're down 50% right now. And uh, anyone who has spent any time around these markets knows that this is not uncommon to a degree. I caveat that with like, that doesn't make it right. I, I get that. 
but this is not uncommon. People who have been around these markets know that this can and will happen. Uh, and to be fair, to their defense, right, this has happened in the equity market too, to notable businesses, right? Uh, Netflix has gotten crushed. The Peloton, like, geez, that business has gotten absolutely decimated over the last few months, losing 90% plus of its value. There's, there's, numerous ones, Amazon, like all these businesses, good businesses have been getting crushed for the last, uh, technology stocks in particular, have been getting crushed for the last few months. So I think that's one piece of it. But in my mind, like it was always about the risk curve. And what I mean that is if you were partnering with companies like FTX, FTX is a good example because they were doing, uh, less than $10 million in revenue in 2019. In 2020, they did $85 million. So 10 to 85. And then last year they did over a billion. Right? So they went from sub $10 million in annual revenue to over a billion dollars in annual revenue. And this is the business that makes money regardless of if assets are up or down. Right, They're an exchange. They, they get a, a spread on each trade and they make money that way, among other ways. But, but that's one of them, obviously. And uh, so I think when you think about it like a business like FTX, there was a great quote by Sam Bankman-Fried, who's the CEO of that company. He told De- Decrypt after they asked about the Miami Heat deal. If you guys remember, FTX was the first company that did a major crypto sports deal when they sponsored the Miami Heat arena. They were paying $135 million. Everyone was like, holy shit, that's a lot of money. None of these deals had been done yet. No one really knew the size and the scale that these were going to go towards. And FDX has really been the leader in that, right? They've done everything from baseball, basketball, Formula One, Mercedes, et cetera. And Sam Bankman-Fried was asked about that deal when it first happened. And they said, hey man, like, you know, a lot of people are worried about crypto. They don't necessarily know if this is going to be around in a decade. Like, what have you heard on that front? Are you worried at all that you will not be able to pay for this sponsorship? And I'll read you his direct response. He said, without going into the details, it's been a pretty good year for us to the point where, frankly, we don't need to rely on the other 18 years to have the funds for this. So it's been a phenomenal year for a number of businesses and for the crypto industry in particular. And then I think us even more so. And so that's given us a pretty big cushion. Right? He's legitimately saying we have enough money to pay for this today on our balance sheet, enough cash. And I think that's an important point, not to say that they would do that, obviously, but because the NFL, the NBA, uh, the NHL, MLS, like all of these businesses were thinking about this in the context of like, we're a major, major, major sports league. We need to stay on kind of that like longer end of the risk curve, Right. And, uh, I think when you start to think about the tail, that's where we saw some people get in trouble, right? So, uh, the Washington nationals, they partnered with, uh, Tara and, uh, they releasing tweets the other day as the, the crypto was plunging in value, which obviously is not a good look. You need to have some kind of self-awareness for sure. Uh, but then in Europe, I, I know there was a lot more in Europe of people that were partnering with businesses that were not nearly as stable, right? So in my mind, it was all about like, not only do you need to diversify your sponsorships to not worry about this. But it was all about the quality of the sponsorships, right? Coinbase, FTX, BlockFi, Crypto.com. Like these are big businesses that aren't going out of business. They've made billions and billions and billions of dollars over the last few years. And they're going to be able to pay for these sponsorships, right? So I think that most, uh, if not all, of the leagues here in North America probably did it in the right capacity of like partnering with the top tier people in those spaces looking at their finances, knowing that they had strong balance sheets, would be able to withstand a year or two or three of kind of a crypto winner. But in my mind, like these questions are only going to continue to come up. There's obviously a lot of athletes that were paid in Bitcoin, et cetera. 
I think the part that some people forget is like, this is a very small portion of their overall investment portfolio. Um, so whether it goes up, down, sideways, et cetera, most of them probably that the, the quantity and the quality of people that were taking these deals saw it as an investment, right? At least I know some of the people I talked to, uh, Saquon Barkley, et cetera, like they thought about this in the way of let's put this capital to work in a market that we think is going to be here for the long run. Let's dollar cost average into the asset on a regular basis and have a long time horizon. And ultimately that's their bet. And it's going to take time to see how this plays out. But I know uh, the industry has come a long way over the last decade. People were saying similar things that they're saying today when Bitcoin crashed to 3,000 or 3,500 in 2018, 2019, and now it's sitting around 30,000. So there's a nuance to each argument, of course. I don't know if this is going to be played out correctly over the next few years or not. It's going to take some time is my point, I think, and we'll see what happens. But sports leagues, like anyone else, need to be careful and they need to diversify their sponsorships. They need to deal with the premium players when it's a new nascent market that is growing quickly because you don't want to get caught where a meaningful portion of your annual revenue, a meaningful portion of your profits is coming from a business that you do not know will be here from the long run. So again, I think the major players in this area, they'll be fine. They have plenty of cash on hand. They're making billions of dollars over the last few years, even if that was to cut 50%, which is highly unlikely given a lot of the estimates that we're seeing they would be perfectly fine and able to pay these these sponsorships. So we'll see what happens. But I think this is going to be a trend, something people are talking about for at least the next several few years or until uh, the assets either start to go up again or they go all the way to zero. So we'll, uh, we'll keep track on this all. Make sure to update you guys as I get more information. If I hear anything more on these deals, if I hear uh, about anyone unable to pay them, if I hear people are paying them early, if I hear... They are requesting cash up front, et cetera. I think those are the trends to watch, but we'll see what happens. And last but not least, I hope everyone has a fantastic Monday and a great week. I'll talk to you guys soon. All right, everyone, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Palm Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.